In recent months, I have learned that I suffer from an addiction to online shopping. I don't know what it is, but there's something that gets my heart racing when a package shows up on my doorstep. When I was a kid, I would always get my hopes up around my birthday that I'd come home from school and a mountain of packages would be waiting for me on the front porch. This was in the days before Amazon or tracking packages really existed, so you never knew what to expect. Nowadays, I can log on to my accounts and see a little pinpoint that tells me exactly where the truck with my package is and how many stops the driver has to make before getting to me, which is admittedly a little creepy. One other thing that drives me nuts is when the delivery date is totally off. It always seems like if I order something that I'm super excited for, the shipping gets delayed or the package gets lost and it doesn't show up for a day or two after it was supposed to be there. Yes, I know, I know, first world problems. Surely though, I'm not the only one who gets unreasonably upset about this, right? If you're like me and find this frustrating, try to remember not to take it out on your delivery person. With the holidays coming up, I'm sure many of you have ordered gifts for your loved ones. So remember, if it gets delayed, please do not go postal. Welcome to Dead Time Stories. that. Patrick Sherrill rolled his eyes as he slapped off his six o'clock alarm. Though early for some people, Patrick was already up and ready to go in his blue postal worker's uniform. He stood and wiped the creases in his shorts before grabbing his messenger bag. He dabbed sweat off his bald forehead, then paced through his filthy room, knocking over a pile of Playboy magazines and watching them scatter across the floor. Should've kept those in the garage. Whatever. I ain't getting fired today. Patrick unlocked his bike, adjusted a helmet to his skull, and hopped on for his trip to work. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night stays these carriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Right. Ain't nobody gonna stop me. Patrick was born on November 13, 1941 in Watonga, Oklahoma. They say his parents were older when he was born and already had a son and a daughter. They owned a farm and cafe, but sold both of these and moved to Oklahoma City in the mid-50s, just in time for Patrick to go through that awkward phase of life when you hate your parents and feel like everyone's constantly judging you. Great hustle out there, Cheryl. I had my doubts about you at first, but, you know, you shaped out to be a pretty normal teenager. What do you mean by that? Well, your teacher said you did real lousy in class, and you don't seem to have many friends. But out on the field, you'd never know you were part of Weirdsville. Now hit the showers, kiddo. Whether it was to get back at bullies or just to let out some steam, we may never know. But Patrick ended up lettering for Harding High School's football, wrestling, and track and field teams. Not bad for someone who didn't like team activities. Don't let Coach bother you. You're not a part of Weirdsville. Nah, he's right. 
I am. What do you mean? Well, Dad died recently because he was nutty. That's why I'm never going to get married because I don't want to pass on those bad genes to any kids. Patrick's one friend might not have found this news too surprising since Patrick definitely was one strange banana who, for the most part, chose to keep to himself. His high school career ended in 1959 and he found himself at Oklahoma University on a wrestling scholarship. By 1960, though, he dropped out most likely because he hadn't fit in with the other students. On January 15, 1964, he enlisted in the Army. Excellent shooting, Cheryl. Obviously. Now are you sending me to Vietnam or what? <clears throat> Sorry, Cheryl. You're an expert with that M14, but we need to keep you here at Camp Lejeune. Shithead. Just like his school days, Patrick was not a fan of authority figures and didn't seem to get along with anybody at the base. Other than recognition for his work with firearms, he never received any awards or medals, but did get a discharge under honorable conditions on December 29th, 1966. Joe? Joe, is that you? No, Ma. Dad died ten years ago. That's right. (laughs) I forgot. Patrick dropped his military bag as he walked into his mother's cluttered home. She sat on a lumpy couch in a dirty nightgown, looking frazzled. Damn, woman! Do you ever clean up after yourself? I try, but sometimes I forget what I'm doing. Well, stop that. Patrick collapsed onto the couch and flipped open a course catalog for Central State University, which today is known as the University of Central Oklahoma. Isn't it too late to enroll in classes? I already enrolled in basic courses, but they're all boring and stupid. I want to find something useful. This cycle repeated every few weeks, and by 1970, Patrick dropped out of college again, earning nothing but failing grades. Things got progressively worse from here. His mother's Alzheimer's worsened, and Patrick discovered the joys of ham radio. Their home was beginning to look like Grey Gardens, but Patrick didn't care. He was too busy calling strangers who sometimes lived as far away as Australia. This is P. Sherrill. Is this frequency occupied by an amateur operator? P. Sherrill, this is Will Roger 28. This frequency is in use, but open for a new friend. Over. Will Roger 28, what's your 20? Oklahoma. Patrick lit up. This stranger had something in common with him. As the night wore on, Patrick learned some exciting news. So, you work at the Will Rogers Air Base? That is correct, sir. We're actively recruiting now if you want to come by and give it a shot. Patrick sure did. He biked the 10 miles multiple times until he was finally accepted in 1976. They made him a civilian maintenance employee at Tinker Air Force Base. Not everyone was a huge fan, though. Oh no, the guard bum's back. Where? Oh, you're right. He is icky. I bet he molests little kids, too. Gross. Why would you say that? Just his mannerisms. The way he looks. He's the first man ever in my life, and I have dealt with men all my life. That I feel like I'm nude standing there talking to him. I don't think he'd ever hurt you. He's just... weird. Mark told me he drove by his home once, and the yard is covered with tubes and wires and junk. He just likes to tinker with radios in his spare time. Then he can stay home and fiddle. 
The base eventually dismissed Patrick, and things grew even worse. His mother passed away in 1978 from Alzheimer's, and although he earned some income from her insurance, it wasn't enough to live off of, and he needed a new job fast. Hi, ma'am! Welcome to Radio Shack! What can we help you with today? I need a new antenna. Of course. Ah, that young man over there will help you. I have a given name, and it's Patrick Cheryl. That was just how Patrick was. Someone's innocent remark about him could easily explode in his head. After eight months as an installer and technician, Patrick stormed off the job and never returned. Watch it, you worm! Patrick stopped in the middle of the sidewalk to watch the boy speak to one of his neighbors. The child gestured in an animated way before the woman handed him a wad of cash in exchange for a small box of chocolate. With a salute, the boy paddled off. Wait a minute, Mrs. Eastman! The woman's eyes widened as the bald man sprinted up her sidewalk. She debated slamming the door and pretending not to see him, but it was too late. He was on her porch. What was that boy saying to you? Was it about me? What? For heaven's sake, Patrick, not everyone talks about you. Now get off my property. I need to know what that boy said. Mrs. Eastman took a menacing step forward with her lip curled. All right, lady. I get the hint. Patrick backed off her property, but his cold eyes never left hers. (sighs) What was that about? Crazy Pat harassed me about what a boy was doing here. Chocolate. You know, we ought to call the police on that man again. I've seen him stopping on his late night walks to uh, stare in our windows. He's a pedophile, weirdo, and killer. No, I don't think he's violent, but he's definitely odd. And don't bother with police. You know what they said last time. Yeah, they can't do nothing because he's just looking and not breaking in. Hogwash. Patrick couldn't make a living taking late night walks, so applied for another job. This time was with the U.S. Postal Service. All right, Pat, letter sorting is serious business. You got 90 days to prove to me that you've got what it takes to be one of us. If you pass a test and prove to be competent, we'll keep you on. Fail either one of those and you are out. Now start sorting and be snappy. Ugh, any idiot can do this. Hey, show me you're competent. I'll show you. You, you are incompetent. In actuality, Patrick wouldn't show him. When he failed to pass the tests after 89 days, he quit. For now. In August of 1982, Patrick returned to what he knew and loved, the U.S. Air Force Reserve. His goal was to become a firearms instructor, and to do that, he needed to attend a training course at the Lackland Air Force Base in Texas. Next up, sir, is Patrick Sherrill. Dagnabbit, why are we wasting our time with this clown? He's terrible in class, 
And nobody wants to hang out with him. I think that's because he's a fruit, sir. At, at least a few of the fellows have said that. I haven't seen any evidence of that. Still, remind me to tell my wife not to have him babysit our kids. You know how his kind are. Yes, I read somewhere that an officer said something along those lines about Patrick. Even though there was never any evidence that Patrick was gay, and more importantly, not every gay man is a child molester. I'll be damned. He's an excellent shot. Where was that in class? He wasn't the only one impressed. Hey man, I saw you shooting out there today. Boy, you're an excellent shot. Vincent Stubbs. I'm a few bunks down. Patrick stared at Vincent's outstretched hand a little skeptically before shaking it. Patrick Sherrill. Pleasure to meet you. Hey, I was going to take a cruise around San Antonio tomorrow if you want to join. We could see the sights, check out the chicks, have some beer. Patrick sat up a little higher, and a small grin sprouted across his mustached face. I'd like that. I'd like that a lot. Vincent and Patrick became pretty close during their training, and for once, Patrick opened up to someone. It's too bad you didn't like college. Those were some of the best years of my life. Nah. The other kids were bizarre, and the classes were too easy. But what about the women? Not many lookers there. Not like Sherry. Boy, was she a beaut! Sang with me in the church choir every Sunday. Uh, Speaking of which, I should probably do my Bible study. Sure, sure. I'll leave you to it. Night, buddy. (sighs) The nine weeks ended and Patrick returned to civilian life. Thanks to his sister, he took up a stockroom job with the American Cancer Society in March of 1984. By September, he quit because... I deserve more than minimum wage for this crap. In October, he once again turned to what he knew best. Military stuff. He placed a call, and they put him into the 137th Squadron as a combat arms instructor. Patrick tried out for the squadron's marksmanship team. He watched one man intently as he shot at a paper target. (laughs) You'll miss with that posture. Here, keep your arms a little more firm, like this. There you go. Better, right? Much. Thanks. You never guess I've been practicing at home. How'd you do that? Oh, it's real easy. They let us check out guns if you're part of the team. I have a big open field and I tell my boys to stay inside. Huh. That's very interesting. Well, keep it up and I'll tell you if you're doing anything else wrong. With all of this experience under his belt, Patrick decided to take another crack with the USPS. In April 1985, with the aid of bonus points for veterans, Patrick passed the written and physical tests and found himself working as a part-time employee. Don't be fooled by that terminology, though. This only meant he was an hourly employee instead of salaried. And with such a high volume of mail, Patrick often worked 40 hours a week. In his first year, he made $13,000, which is roughly $31,459 in 2020. Patrick? Yeah? Patrick turned to his supervisor, Bill Bland, with a lazy look. Bill flapped an envelope at him. You want me to take that or something? On September 19th, 1985, you did fail to protect mail entrusted to your care. 
as evidenced by the fact you left two trays of mail and three parcel post items unattended overnight at 601 Vista Lane. Your failure to discharge your assigned duties conscientiously and effectively resulted in a one-day delay in delivery of approximately 500 pieces of mail, which had been entrusted to your care. What's this about? For Christ's sake! You fucked up, you meathead! Because you decided to be lazy, you're going to be suspended for seven days. It wouldn't be his last suspension either. A few months later in March, Bill handed him another notice for 14 days this time. Why'd you tell a lady you didn't need help finding the mailbox? Because she was an annoying bitch. If I needed help, I would have asked. And you sprayed a dog with pepper spray? It growled at me. It's behind a five-foot fence! Listen, midget. Maybe five feet seems large to you, but to me and that dog, it's nothing. He growled at me the day before, my pepper spray failed, so I decided to test my new one. He's fine! Well, that's a lot more than you can say. I'm going to find every fucking infraction against you and make sure you never step foot into my post office again. Fuck you, Bill! What are you looking at, Tracy? This doesn't involve you. Richard Esser Jr., another supervisor, awkwardly watched Patrick leave. Think we were too hard on him, Bill? Nah. You gotta push your employees to get them to work harder. If others see Patrick's performance improve, then theirs will get better, too. Lunch? <sighs> fucking asshole, oh my god. Oh, yeah, no, no, don't cut yourself down. Don't get yourself on this ledge. Use it. Oh, First of all, I'm going to get the hell out of here. Good afternoon, sir. This is Becky with the American Postal Workers Union. How may yeah, I help? Yeah, listen. My name is Patrick Sherrill, and I work at the Edmund unit. You gotta transfer me to maintenance or something, man. My boss is a total dick, and he constantly nags me, even though I give 110%. I understand your problem, Mr. Sherrill. Unfortunately, we cannot complete a transfer into further investigation, but your concerns are our utmost priority. Can I help you with anything else today? You didn't even help with this! <sighs> a defeated Patrick turned to his nightstand where a Colt 45 and a Remington 45 semi-automatic pistol stared back at him. He had checked both out earlier in the year, and now an idea was brewing. He'll be sorry, and everyone will know. See the new stamps there? Oh my god, they are just so beautiful. I mean, nothing makes me more proud to be working at such an established place than the beautiful. Good morning, all! William Miller said as he entered the break room, beaming. (laughs) My wife made some cookies and I couldn't eat them all. So, I wanted to share them with you. That's very kind of you, William. Everybody grab a cookie and let's get the day started. Richard calmly took a seat at his desk and began sorting through paperwork. He had no idea Patrick was right behind him with... Hey, Richard, I have a quick question. Where's Bill? The unfortunate newcomer, Mike Rockney, froze as he stared down the barrel of the gun. Mike Bigler stood at his workstation sorting mail when he heard the gunshot. Diane, is someone shooting off fireworks or something? Nah, somebody probably dropped a mail tray. 
about gave me a heart attack. <gasps> Diane ducked and hid behind her mail tub as Mike Bigler turned and saw Mike Rockney fall dead. Oh, crud! Mike sprinted, but Patrick saw him and fired a bullet into his back. Mike fell down in pain, but was still alive. He held his breath and tried not to scream as he laid motionless. Once Patrick stepped over him and had left the room, Mike continued out of the building with his hands above his head. Diane was close behind. Patrick was systematic in his shooting, working in a circular motion and locking doors so nobody could get in or out. He trekked through the lobby to an area with three separate alcoves that house small postal boxes. Debbie Smith was busy stuffing letters in the second alcove while three of her co-workers toiled away in the first. Pat? What are you... Oh, goodness. Get down, you two. No, Pat, no! <gasps> Debbie huddled in the corner of her alcove, knowing that Patrick would see her next. Oh, God, please don't let him take me next. Help me get away. To Debbie's astonishment, Patrick walked right by her to the third alcove. Not wasting any time, she sprinted outside. Patrick, meanwhile, inched towards the break room where Tracy Sanchez's workstation was set up. Having heard the screams and realizing it wasn't a drill, Tracy had little time to act. Much like Debbie, Tracy found herself spared by the shooter. I wouldn't make it to the lobby, but maybe the back door. locked. She whipped her head back and forth until spotting the supply closet. She quietly ran to the door with another co-worker. Come on! Lock it! Lock it! There's no lock! Then turn off the lights! Good God, he is right outside! Oh, Patrick! Did you hear that noise? Why is everyone shouting? William Miller collapsed outside the break room, never to bring cookies to work again. Jean Bray managed to escape out a side door, though he was covered in blood and not looking too good. He collapsed down the loading dock steps, and as he fell, he saw an officer staring back at him with his gun drawn. They don't shoot him, officer. That's Jean. He ain't the shooter. We can't be sure of that. Oh, come on, man. I kicked the gun out of Patrick's hand as he passed me. Now, I appreciate y'all coming so quick and all, but you don't know my coworkers like I do. Patrick's your guy. Now let me help Gene before he dies in the grass. Hey, wait a minute, you can't... Ignoring the officer, Gene's colleagues grabbed and carried him to the front, where paramedics were already waiting. With the post office being just a few blocks from the police station, officers were flagged down or called within minutes of Patrick's attack. Oh man, there he is. The officer could clearly see Patrick through the window. He paced back and forth for what felt like a few minutes before disappearing from view. The entire shooting lasted just about 15 minutes and left seven men and seven women dead and six more individuals wounded. A SWAT team arrived later that morning at 8.30. They slowly marched across the brown linoleum floor until a door creaked open. Don't, don't shoot. We're just two employees. We hid in there until we knew the police arrived. Escort them out. We'll keep searching. Before long, one of the SWAT members brushed his boot across a bald man's head. 
After his shooting spree, the disgruntled postal worker Patrick Sherrill took his own life. For the 50 or so employees working at the Edmund Post Office that day, life would never be normal again. Survivors and their families regrouped at City Hall for a short meeting before they'd file police reports. Okay, folks, when I call out the names of the fatalities, I would like for their family members to please come to the front of the chambers. We have counselors available to talk with each one of you. Chambers, Patricia Ann. Denny, Judy Stevens. (laughs) The lack of sensitivity didn't end there. Employees were expected to return to work the very next day, where they were greeted by memorial wreaths, a flag at half-staff, and a freshly waxed floor. Workers also found notes of kindness left on mailboxes. The biggest shock, however, was Bill Bland, the supervisor Patrick wanted to murder, was still alive. Turns out he accidentally overslept the previous morning and missed work. Unfortunately, the kindness slowly faded away, and in October, a new supervisor named Dale Folks took over. He gathered up his staff. All right, all right, folks, listen up. Thank you for your kind welcome, but we need to get down to business. This branch hasn't been performing up to scratch, so I've posted some new rules in the break room. I know you've enjoyed receiving sympathy cards, but you're not to read them while on the clock anymore. Business hours are for business. If you cannot follow these rules, I have plenty of other incompetent apes ready to replace you. How quickly we forget the behavior that can make a disgruntled employee crack. I'd assume that by now all of the workers that day have retired. Tracy Sanchez, who hid in the supply closet, was later diagnosed with PTSD and despised the 4th of July. Mike Bigler took up work as an evangelist because, in his words, he felt the devil trying to grab him that day and survived being shot in the back because he prayed. Though he has a 7-inch scar between his shoulders, that's nothing compared to his co-workers' screams that he sometimes still hears. Today, a memorial fountain with the victims' names runs outside the Edmund Post Office. The Postal Service eventually apologized for those affected by the shooting and implemented a program to prevent workplace violence. It was the least they could do, considering that it was the third largest mass shooting at that time. It's just so unfortunate that the term going postal became a running joke in the 90s, instead of being a reminder as to why we need to be kind to others, whether or not they return our kindness. Nor Gloom of Night was written and narrated by me, Skylar Fastenau, and executive produced by Daniel Jones. Voice talent was provided by Daniel Jones, Alan Anthony Morion, Walker Barnes, Jeremy Staple, Taylor Shirty, Sophia Sassone, Rainey Blake, Ariel Dale, Matt McNelly, Jordan Catcher, Marissa Pistone, Vince Perez, and Tamara Perry. There are so many additional stories that I wanted to share with you about Patrick Sherrill, but we unfortunately didn't have time for them in this episode. If you want to hear more about the girl that Patrick fell in love with, or his later encounters with Vincent, join our Patreon today and check out my director's cut. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at The Original Deadtime Stories to learn more. The links to those pages are in the episode description. We will be back in just one week with our annual holiday special. This one is an absolute favorite of mine, and I am fired up to share it with you. 
Until then, stay safe out there. I don't want you to become the next chapter's topic on the original Dead Time Stories.